Today's read, Midnight, A Gangsta Love Story by Sister Soldier, Chapter 23, The Insults, Fresh. I was fresh when I picked Uma up from work. Still, I imagined she could see Akimi's passionate prints all over me like a purple ultraviolet light exposes lint on clothing that the naked eye cannot see. But she didn't say one word differently than she usually would when I met her in the early evening. Let's get a cab instead, she said. I have the address of an Egyptian jeweler. His jewels come very highly recommended. On the ride over, Uma explained, I want you to convince the jeweler to agree to a private showing of his bangle collection at the executive apartment of the father of the groom. The father and his son, the groom, will be certain to select something exquisite for the bride. It turned out that the groom's father, whom Uma never spoke to directly, is an important Sudanese dignitary. He would arrive in New York tonight from Switzerland. His business this upcoming week would require his presence at the United Nations. He could accept a meeting with the jeweler at his Manhattan apartment across from the UN, but his schedule would not permit him to make the trip out to the various jeweler's stores. Sudanese brides, Uma said, expect their bangles to be incredible. The jewels on a bride's arm on her wedding day are so much more important to her than any ring being placed on her finger. The bangles will be hers to cherish forever. And believe me, they are only a small part of the dowry that her groom must provide to her and her family. Sounds expensive, I said. These are not poor people we are working for, Uma informed me. The groom has graduated from a prestigious university in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He is working now for some U.S. corporation. His auntie told me that their nephew has gained all of the money that he ever wanted, but he has lost his tradition. Uma made a sound with her teeth expressing how shameful she felt the loss of tradition is. Our job is to make sure that the groom and his family, who have been living in Europe and America for all of these years, are properly prepared for his wedding to a northern Sudanese Muslim woman whose Sudanese family will expect a traditional Sudanese wedding and will be completely insulted by anything else. stood outside the Egyptian jeweler's door. A big sign in the window read, open. The lighting inside the store was bright, yet the door was locked. An Arab woman looked at us from a distance behind the jewelry counter. An Arab man emerged into view and looked us over too. He walked toward the locked glass door and stood still for some seconds. You're in Brooklyn, motherfucker. Open the door, I thought to myself. 
who did he expect to see as his customers? My Islamic mother was standing right there, covered from head to toe. He signaled to the woman who remained behind the counter. She reached her fingers to the wall behind her and pressed the buzzer, unlocking the door. He pulled the door open before I could push it. He stood in his doorway, blocking us from entering. Salam alaikum, I said. Are you open? Nam, he answered, which means yes in Arabic. Do you want to spend some money today? He asked us. I didn't like his question. It was a subtle way of saying, do you two have any money or not? Or why bother? We want to arrange for a private showing of your Bengal collection to a dignitary from our country. I handed him our business card. Without even looking at it, he said with clever sarcasm, he can come here to the store. We will show him our collection privately. An older Arab man emerged. He was standing a few feet behind him now, watching. I assumed he was the man's father. He's an important client for our business. We need to make it convenient for him. It will be profitable business for you, too, I assured him. You won't be disappointed. The Arab stepped outside his door. The door closed and locked behind him. Uma stepped back. I remained standing there in his face. You see the pharmacy there? He pointed. Go and buy a camera and bring it. I will snap some photos of our Bengal collection. You will show him and return with his money and his choices, the Arab said. Uma stood silently, listening, watching. If she were not standing here with me, I would have stopped this conversation before it ever started, before he decided after too long a wait to move closer to the door, but I wanted to please Uma. All right, if we can come in, my mother can look over the bangles. She will know the tastes of our client, I said, preferring to work it out that way. Is she buying or is he buying? The Arab said curtly. I touched Uma's arm. We turned and left. I heard him spit on the ground somewhere behind me. Running suicides at basketball practice wasn't nothing for me. I needed to do something physical and extreme to burn off energy. So I did. After Vega's whistle, I was still running suicides. The laps Vega called for, I doubled. The drills, I drilled. I wasn't trying to impress anybody. I was trying not to kill anybody else. But the disrespect was too constant. Three hours after practice began that same night, the entire team was seated together on the gym floor, drenched in sweat. Vega wasn't sweating. He was plotting. All of you are making me look good tonight. Keep it up. We'll look good together, he said, talking fast and clapping his hands twice. 
For now, you need to choose a team captain, a leader, a point man. I'm going to walk away. In three minutes when I get back, you all tell me who it is. Who wants to be the captain of Los Negros? Panama Black asked, so we all knew he did. Nobody was stepping up. Then the kid named Braz said, That brother right there should be our captain, pointing at me. Nah, I'm just a shooter. Let Panama Black be the captain. He hustles hard. I'm not a leader. If I'm in the clear, feed me. I'll sink it in the hoop, I told him. Alright? I asked. They all nodded their approval or said, yeah. Panama Black smiled, revealing his framed gold teeth. You know it, he said, accepting the new position. On our way out, Panama threw his arm around my shoulder and kept it there too long for me. You a cool motherfucker, he said with a straight face. Where you from, he asked. Brooklyn, same as you, I answered. He laughed once and said, Aight, I hear that. He knew we were both from different countries. I was just being polite enough not to tell him to mind his fucking business. Panama thought I was doing him a favor, stepping out of his way so he could shine. I looked at it the other way around. The way I saw it, Vega was about to dump a heap of responsibilities on his head as team captain. Panama would have to be accountable for every player on the team, their whereabouts, and getting them to act right and show up on time. When the next player fell short, he would take the weight. I didn't have the time. For me, the league was strictly business. I was glad to give him that position and move out of the light where I preferred to be. Our team stepped out of the gym and into the red and blue lights of the popo, pulled up and parked on the curb in front of the gym. They was eyeing us with a hatred that didn't mean shit because it was an everyday thing. Keep walking, a cop's voice blasted out over the megaphone. Keep walking, clear the area, get back to your buildings, the voice ordered. Only one team member made the mistake of turning around and looking back toward the police cruiser. The cop on the driver's side jammed the gas pedal. The police cruiser jumped and sped up to where we were walking. One and a half seconds worth of siren rang out then stopped immediately. We're looking for a black guy in jeans and a t-shirt. Is that you? The cop asked sarcastically, throwing his voice over the megaphone from inside the cruiser. Our whole team was wearing sweats and kicks We just kept walking, our backs to them. Vega walked with us, too, toward the train station. I knew he had his reasons for walking with the team because earlier, I seen him roll up in his car, which he parked in the opposite direction. I noticed Vega wasn't saying nothing either. The cops followed us, slowly, still sitting and riding behind us all the way to the station. They disappeared when they were sure we were all going down into the subway and out of their area. A black guy in jeans and a t-shirt, I thought to myself. That fits the description of every male youth in all our hoods. I had two guns, four knives, and $800 on me that night. Close call.